Well, I'm going to share a word with you in just a second, and I'm going to pray just in just a second too. And um, but before I do, I thought I'd let you know that I wrote a book. I don't know if anyone knew that I was working on a book. I um, not someone that overly shares a lot about personal things that I do. In fact, I get so tunnel visioned that I don't even tell my wife half the stuff I do. Just ask her about that. And um, so it's like, oh, honey, I wrote a book. What? I've only been working on it for like four years. So, no, she knew earlier than that. But, um, but anyway, I finished this book. So I'm going to ask you all for a favour. Do you want to do me a favour? I don't. I'm not asking you to buy it. But I would like you to review it. And I'm willing to give you a free copy, give you a digital copy. Now actually, it's one of those ones where you set it up on Amazon and it's available for print-on-demand. So I've ordered a few copies of print-on-demand. They'll be here in a week or two and I can show you what it looks like. And uh, I'd really be keen to get 20 people to read my book and give me a, a review. Now, it needs to be an honest review. Don't just give me a five stars because you like me and pretend you read the book. And um, no, you've got to give it an honest review, but it's um, something a bit different. It's a, it's a book that's written to atheists a thousand years in the future. So, you know, we've been talking around here a lot about the world having a long future. And um, so I thought, way back four years ago, I thought, I'm going to write a letter into the future. And uh, the Lord kind of gave me some inspirational thoughts about how to do all of that. And... Um, it's taken me four years to finally get it done, but I want your help. So I'll talk more about it in the next few weeks when the book arrives and I'll show you. But if you're super excited and motivated, you can go to Amazon.com um, and you can type in David Alley and the book's called Flag on the Glacier. And um, glaciers are things that move very, very slowly. It's a river of ice. When you're standing on a glacier, you have no idea that you're moving along. You wouldn't know. But if you came back in a year later, you would have moved like, you know, maybe 50 metres or something. Not very much. But if you put a flag on that glacier, and you could you put a GPS coordinate on it, you can come back in a year's time and you can see, oh, it's, it was over there and now it's over there. Well, the book's all about the type of change that takes place through the gospel. The Lord at work in the world, then a thousand years from now is going to be so obvious to people. So I thought I'd write a letter and point out... <laughs> So that in a thousand years from now, people could read the book and they could say, wow, look, he's really right. Look what's happened. So it's an interesting book. And um, anyway, I'm hoping I can get some help with that. So there you go. I managed to manufacture two announcements out of one. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, the fact it's the Lord's day. It's a day that belongs to you. Lord, every day belongs to you. But for some reason, this day is extra special. We ask you to be with us this morning as we consider the Word of God for a little while. I pray that you would speak, and you'd speak to every heart, that the truth would be present. The Holy Spirit would minister to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, so the last few weeks, the Lord's been talking, and we had that week of listening prayer. And um, it's good to be in listening prayer. It's one of my favourite weeks of the year. When else can you sit down and do nothing and feel good about it? <laughs> well, you can when you're in listening prayer. And um, 
So we got a lot of words that came back from the week of listening prayer and if you receive your newsletter every week you will have seen that document that I've attached in there with all the words that were handed in. Now there might be some that weren't handed in, I don't know about those, but I've put them all in there and it's, it's good to go and read it and hear all the things that people were getting. And um, if you did that, you would have noticed that one of the themes that emerged was a theme of a, the river of God or the, the stream of God or um, the theme of water flowing um, and, you know, get in the stream. There were some other words that were coming about dwelling in the Lord or dwelling in God's presence. I have to say it's the same thing. And there were other words that used other vocabulary, but if you were to really look at them all, the theme strongly came about getting into the Lord, getting into God's presence, being with him, being in the center of what he's doing. All different language for the same type of thing. It's amazing to me how you can have a week of listening prayer, you can have 80 odd people in that week, and how God can speak through everyone's unique personalities and their way of thinking and the same thing can come through so many different people. So God, it's his words, but it's also people's words, all at the same time. It's very, very human, because people use their language. It's a bit like the Bible, really. And uh, you know how you read the Bible and you, you say, oh, the language of this sounds so much like Paul, or it, because it's, it's God's words, but it's very much human as well. Like the book of Revelation, I remember, when I study in Greek, the book of Revelation was one of the books you use because the Greek is really simple. And uh, John, it must have been like a, not a very strong language for him. So for him to write it in Greek, it was like he just used the basic vocabulary that he knew. And when you read the book of Revelation in Greek, there's some parts where, for example, it says, all honor and power and glory and might and wisdom be to him things like that. And you think, why did he put and 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 in so many times? Well, one of the theories is just his basic language skills. So it's just the human side coming through. So I look at these words, you know, that we've received from the church. I'm not comparing it to the Bible and it's not like that level of God's word, but I think it's amazing how God speaks through people. And those words are really just people. It's, it's purely that person, but at the same time, the Lord's speaking as well in and through that person, I think it's really amazing. So the theme came through really strongly, which I've just summarized as, let's get into the river of God. And Pastor Bob last Sunday preached about the river of God, a really good message. And if you missed it, uh, you need to go and get it and have a listen. Now, Bob has also written a book. He's also written at least one. Um, and he, in the course of his pastoral ministry, Bob really studied the idea of the river of God and he's gone right through the Bible and found all the different places where the river gets mentioned and what it all means. We don't have time to talk about it this morning and I wish Bob would have, you know, he could have said more about it last week, but it's so fascinating studying all the meanings that are associated with the idea of the river of God. When you think about that river in the Garden of Eden that came out then broke into four we just read this stuff and think, oh, oh yeah, there was a river with broken to four. We think of it purely in geographical terms and we don't realize that God made it that way in the beginning because there's a meaning to it. There's things to learn. And then the idea of the river keeps popping up all the way through the Bible. It's in the last chapter as well, the river coming out of the throne of God. And um, it's, 
You know, it says in Revelations 21 or 22, it says that there are trees planted on both sides of the river bearing fruit every month. Twelve different fruits. And um, our brother Chris from New Zealand, he wrote this week and he said, that's the believers, you know, you and I, we're planted in the river, or planted next to the river in that case, and we're bearing fruit all the time. Isn't that an interesting thought? And so the more you dig into it, think about Psalm chapter 1, you know, that the righteous are like a tree planted by streams of living water. Remember we said at the start of the year our theme for the year was to be planted? Well, there's that, that thing of the river again, planted by streams of living water bearing fruit in season. So even when Philip and I picked our theme for the year about being planted, that was before this whole thing about the river came out. We didn't know that God was going to say so much about rivers in the week of listening prayer, but the theme of being planted, it's actually the same thing. It's being put into the middle of where God wants you to be, into him. And um, so we're going to talk a little bit more about it this morning, more from my perspective than Bob's. Um, I tend to be more cranial. Um, Bob's, you know, good old-fashioned COC pastor, so he, he just gets the glory going. Well, I pray there'll be a bit of glory here this morning too, um, you know, but my, via my cranial methods. <laughs> so anyway, we'll just talk a bit more about the river. Now, I was analysing the week of listening prayer, in hindsight, thinking, you know, God is so amazing and so intelligent, he could have said anything he wanted to say. Now, you imagine this. You approach an almighty being like God and you have an audience with the Lord, let's say for half an hour, and you say to this almighty being, tell me something, anything at all that you want. Now, the almighty could tell you anything. He could tell you a piece of information that in that moment could change your life so that um, your life is completely flipped on its head right then in that moment. He could tell you something that would revolutionise your finances and you'd never, you'd never be in debt ever again. You'd never be in want. He could tell you something that would touch your relationships. He could tell you any number of things. He could tell you the answers to questions that you have had your entire life this is the almighty God we're talking about who knows everything about everything. And you go to him in listening prayer and you're standing in the presence of the most remarkable being that has ever existed. He never had a beginning. He's always existed and knows every single thought you've ever thought. That's, read Psalm 139 to get a bit more thinking about that. So you think there's a God that could say anything to you that could revolutionize your life and what does he say we give him an entire week of our church's time in listening prayer and he comes back and tells us to get in the river that's what he says now are we just like on a different wavelength to God because I was thinking you know if I was going to put myself in God's position what would I tell myself I would tell myself the quickest way to get rich or the quickest way to solve you know the business problems I'm having or the quickest way to fix this or fix that and we're thinking about all my problems all my needs all the things I want to have done and we're thinking that's what God should tell me so that my life could be better but what God says is get in the river and you think to you, you could be tempted to think this I'm not saying you did but you could possibly think oh that's 
just a spiritual thing he said and it, it's not really super relevant to my life did you think that or did you think that but not realize you thought that I think that's what most people do most people just put it in the category of that's a nice spiritual thing that God's saying but you know then they just keep on going with life like as if the Almighty God just said nothing um, well I think that God did say something that could revolutionize your life but the problem is you just don't think it is <laughs> you don't think that what God said is all that revolutionary and it's just a case of oh that's nice move on I'm sure if God had hair he would have torn it all out by now <laughs> and um, so I was thinking to myself this actually is the exact type of thing Jesus said to people when he was on earth when Jesus was on earth and he was walking around and ministering to people he actually said almost this exact same thing to people there's one story I'm about to read it to you from John chapter 4 verses 4 to 14 where he more or less said this exact thing to someone um, and then in the verses following that which we're about to read he says a very very similar thing to his own disciples and they don't get it these are the people that hang around with Jesus all the time physically they don't get it at all well it's easy to look back at the disciples and point to them and say ha 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 they 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 were just so dense they never got it because we've got the Bible and we see the meaning of it but the thing is we actually doing the, we're actually doing the exact same thing that disciples were doing and that we don't get it either so let's go and read to just point out how oblivious we all are at times so let's read from John chapter 4 verses 4 to 14 Jesus goes to Samaria which is very close to where he used to live he lived in Galilee and Samaria and Galilee were kind of like neighboring areas and so it says here he had to go through Samaria so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired as he was from the journey sat down by the well it was about noon um, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water Jesus said to her will you give me a drink his disciples had gone into town to buy food the Samaritan woman said to him you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman how can you ask me for a drink for Jews do not associate with Samaritans Jesus answered her if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water sir the woman said you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where can you get this living water are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock Jesus answered everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst indeed the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life so Jesus is offering this woman a spring of living water isn't that what Jesus was just offering us at the week of listening prayer a few weeks ago um, we look down on this woman because if you know the whole story if you've read John chapter 4 which I've done many many times you know who this woman is you know that she's someone that couldn't keep a husband she had gone through five husbands and she had a, a man with her at that time that wasn't her husband God knows how many children she had 
Um, so her life was a social mess. That's the reason why she was at the well at midday, by the way. Everyone else went to the well at the, at the beginning of the day, 6 a.m., to get water for the start of the day, because you need water in your house to start the day. She went to the well in the middle of the day to avoid all the other women because, because of her social situation. So we all look down upon her and we think, oh, she wasn't much of a person. It's funny though, she, got the, she actually twigged to what the Lord was saying and took it on board and her life was revolutionized. Have you read the whole chapter? She, she somehow believed what the Lord was said. Somehow there was a transaction of faith in her heart. She went back into her town and said, come and meet the man who told me everything I ever did. And in the course of a handful of days, that entire town was converted to Christ. Now there's a woman that got the river of God flowing inside of her somehow. So much so that it changed her and changed the entire town that she lived in. She's a social outcast, had to go to the well in private when no one else was there, and yet suddenly she gets the boldness to go and minister and witness to her entire town. I wish the Bible said a bit more about that story. <laughs> in the, the Chosen, which is, you know, a lot of the, you, some of you have seen The Chosen, which is really, really good, but they make up a lot of stuff because they're kind, trying to, like, imagine what would have happened. Chosen's really, really interesting. I don't know if it happened like The Chosen, but either way, it's encouraging. Go and watch that if you get the chance. It's free. And, um, but we don't know what happened, but all I know is here's a woman who got the touch of God and it revolutionised her. Um, but, skipping a whole bunch of verses, going down to verse 27, while Jesus has been having a conversation with her, his own disciples have gone into town to find food. And, um, and they're on their way back. So let's read what happens when the disciples get back in verse 27 through to 34. Just then, Jesus, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. I guess that was like a, a cultural strange thing to do in the moment. And um, plus she was a Samaritan and he was, a, he was Jewish, so that was even more awkward. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way to him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, saying, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. A minute ago, he was talking about drink with the woman. The type of drink that revolutionizes your life, it's eternal drink. It's living springs. We think that, these, we, we think that when the Bible talks like this, it's talking about some kind of metaphorical thing that's less real. But in the mind of Jesus, He's, it's clearly so real and so important, it overshadows food and drink. Because the disciples come back with actual food, and Jesus says, I've got, I've got food that you don't know about. Jesus is now completely on a wavelength, and he, he's not deceiving them. He's talking about something, in his mind, so real. You know, if you said to your, if your wife brings you home food and you say, oh, I've, I've already had food, you know, you're thinking about food. 
But if you, if you said to her, I've already had something to eat, and you were talking about this, your wife would think you were deceiving her. But Jesus wasn't deceiving them. He was talking about something in his mind so real. I've got food that you don't know about. For him, it was food. It was the type of food that would nourish the soul and strengthen it. You talk about doing something for the Lord that strengthens you so that you become nourished. There's a place you can get to in your life and in your faith where you'll become strong and nourished. It's food to you. See, we, we think these things are not real. We think these are just like spiritual metaphors. But for Jesus, it was so real that he could say it to the disciples and he wasn't deceiving them. He was being completely honest. And um, later on in John chapter 6, he talks about his body and blood. And he says, my body is real food. My blood is real drink. And that's had bucket loads of Christians, especially Catholics, but lots of others, confused for like 2,000 years, they think that when they have communion, they're literally eating his body and blood. No, they're not. Now that you can see how Jesus is talking, he's not saying his body is something you have to eat like a meal. He's saying that his life is for you a food and a drink by which without his life you cannot live. It's real food. It's real drink. So Jesus is just living on another level of real to what we live on. And so um, I'm just trying to explain to you the way Jesus thinks. And when these things are said in the Bible, or when they're said by God, he's not just saying some kind of spiritual metaphor. He's talking about something very real. So the things that the Lord says in the week of listening prayer, they're real things. It's not just nice spiritual stuff. Now, have you ever met anyone that's been struggling with their feelings? And, um, you, know, you, you know, it's customary to say to, some, to say to people, oh, how are you going? And most people say, great, even though they're not doing great. Or, you know, they might not be doing well on that particular day, but everyone just says, great, regardless. But every now and then you'll meet someone who says, oh, I'm just not in a good place. Have you ever met someone that said that or something like that? For a person like that, they're obviously not in a place, are they? You know, if you're thinking in geographical terms, they're not in a place. But when they say that, they're talking about a, they're still talking about a place. This is the same type of thing we're talking about here, the same type of way of thinking that Jesus is talking about. There's a place that you can be in your mind, in your thinking or in your feelings, that's a place. It can be a good place, or it can be a difficult place, but it's a place. And that place goes with you even though you go to lots of places. <laughs> so you're, you're kind of like in multiple places at once. And Jesus is asking us to get into the river, which is a place that goes with you no matter what place you're in. And what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to explain is that this place that Jesus wants us to get into is a real place. It's not a spiritual metaphor. It's not just language to say, pray more. It's not, you know, make sure you're reading your Bible every day. It's not just nice language. 
It's a real thing. You can get into this real place and you will be in the real place when you're there. It's the type of place that will change you if you're in it. And when we went to the Lord and had a week of listening prayer and he said this to us, it was something that could revolutionise our lives if we could do it. <laughs> and apparently it's easy to do, but we make it hard to do. We make it such a complicated thing that because it's so complicated, we somehow don't do it. Or, on the other hand, we think it's a nothing and we don't do it. We fall into either one of these two traps of not taking it seriously enough and thereby doing nothing, or taking it so seriously that we struggle and we strive and we don't know what to do and we also fail to get there. Um, and I go from one to the other. I don't know about you. <laughs> I go from one side to the other side and somehow very rarely manage to be in the middle. Are you like me? Do you do this as well? Or are you just mostly one or the other? Like all one or all the other? I just know that we're human beings and it's very easy to look back at these disciples and blame them. And Jesus says to the disciples, I've got food to eat that you know not of. And they say, who got him food? Who did this? You know, who, we don't know. You know, where did it come from? They're totally thinking on the human level and that's us. <laughs> we're doing it too. We get words from the week of listening prayer and we take them on the human level and we think it's just spiritual analogy and we don't think, we don't really take Jesus at his word. So, the river is a place. Uh, let's read what happened there. So, in the end of that John chapter 4, verses 39 to 42, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine someone in Rockhampton that we all knew was like the town, you know, so there was someone that was universally despised in Rockhampton and everybody knew who that person was. Can you imagine that person getting the glory of God so much so that they were the cause of revival in Rockhampton? This is mind-blowing. Well, that's the river at work in someone's life, right? Don't you want the river to be at work in your life? Even if it's a trickle, hey, it's a trickle, it's something. Don't you want at least that? I would like to at least have a trickle at work in my life. But it's, it turns out you can have more than a trickle. So, when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and so he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because what you said... Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know this man is the saviour of the world. Figure that out. The Jewish people who knew the Bible back to front never twigged that Jesus was the saviour of the world. But these Samaritans, they only had the first five books of the Bible. You might not have known that. They only had the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Samaritan Pentateuch. That's all they had. And... They were messed up. They didn't follow God properly. They didn't even go, believe in the temple. They used to worship on mountains. Somehow, these people, without all their Bible knowledge, managed to figure out that Jesus is the saviour of the world. Isn't that the strangest thing? <laughs> well, you know, let us not be too wise for the Lord. Even though we want to know what the Bible has to say and we want to increase our Bible knowledge, let us not be so wise that our heads get in the way of what the Lord wants to do. So the river 
will do a lot of things for you and I don't have time to go into them all. When I was thinking about the river earlier this week, the story came to mind of Naaman. You guys remember the story of Naaman? It's in 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman was a guy with an incurable skin disease known as leprosy. These days, they've got medication for leprosy. Hansen's disease, it's called. Um, but back then, you got leprosy and you were an outcast. Incurable. Well, this Naaman, he was told by the prophet Elisha to go dip in the river. And you know what? In Old Testament symbols, leprosy is a picture of your sin and the incurable state of your heart. It's something you cannot cure. You cannot get rid of it and you're an outcast if you've got it. And that's you and me, that's every one of us. That's sin at work in every human being from the minute they're born, from the minute they're conceived, conceived in sin, outcasts. But you know what? Dip in the river, cured. <laughs> it's the most, and look, I, could, I don't know what Naaman said when he went back to Syria, but we know he was a happy guy because he wanted to load his gifts down on Elisha. Imagine that, imagine being accepted, accepted by the Lord. That's the river. Everywhere you go through the Bible, there's river stories, and there's all sorts of things that are made of these river stories like that. The Lord accepts you. The Lord loves you. The Lord heals you. The Lord forgives you. The Lord will strengthen you. The Lord will flow through you to others. The river is like everything. It's like God himself. Just do a Bible search for the river or streams of life. There's even a psalm that says that streams will flow in the desert places. Imagine that. Even in the driest of places where it doesn't rain, next thing a spring appears. That's the Lord in your life. Though you don't know how, it happens. Amazing. So I want to um, finish this sermon by reading to you from Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 to 12. Another famous river passage in the Bible. And um, Ezekiel is one of those apocalyptic books, like the book of Revelation. It's full of strange stuff that's hard to understand. <laughs> but fortunately, this particular chapter is easier to understand. So let us read verses 1 to 12. Now the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate facing east and the water was trickling down the south side. So all of that's very symbolic. We're gonna ignore all of that for, net, for the purposes of today and just focus on this water that's coming out of the temple. Now the temple is of course the Lord. The Lord is the temple, says the New Testament. Um, but in another way, we're also the temple. But this river is coming out of Christ, but it's also supposed to be coming out of us as well. Verse 3. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, and he led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. The cubit, by the way, is about 48 centimetres. I always round it up to half a metre. So we're talking a thousand cubits, that's like 500 metres, roughly speaking. So just if you, so you get a sense of what a cubit is. So he then measured off another thousand and it was, um, he led me through water that was up to the waist. 
He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross. Because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? He then led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. The Arabah is the desert, by the way. It goes down through the desert to the Dead Sea, where it empties into the sea and the salty water there becomes fresh. By the way, the Dead Sea never becomes fresh. There's pictures going on here. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on Earth. It's 400 metres below sea level. Nothing can get out of there except by evaporation. So the water evaporates, but the salt remains, and it gets saltier and saltier and saltier, year by year by year. I can't wait to go to the Dead Sea sometime in my life and float and read a newspaper. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen those pictures that people do that. Yeah, just Google for that. You know, it's, always, it's so buoyant that you can just like lay on the top like a deck chair and just ah, read a newspaper. Super buoyant. It, it does not become fresh. It's telling us here that the river of life can even flow into the Dead Sea and turn that dead, salty environment into something fresh. This is what it says. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. Imagine that, the Dead Sea turning into a living lake. Unimaginable. There will be large numbers of fish because of the water that flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So that where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi to En Eglaim. They're just places down there near the Dead Sea. Spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But swamps and marshes will not become fresh for they will be left for salt. Fruit trees will, of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. It's the same picture right here as in Revelation. Now, what's all this talk about fish? Come on, what's a New Testament picture of fish? Souls. When the river of life flows... It produces fish and we catch them. That's talking about the church growing, people becoming saved. So we talk, the Lord is giving a word that is truly revolutionary if we can get it into us. You should go and think about all of this, meditate on all of this, because the Lord really is speaking. But I just want to go back to one little part of this passage and we're going to cl close with that. When the river first came out from the temple, it was only ankle deep. You know, a bit further on it was knee-deep, then it was waist-deep, then it was, you know, a river that was big enough to swim in, and in fact so big you couldn't cross it. So the river was becoming more substantial as it went along. Um, rivers don't normally do that <laughs> unless there are other streams joining into them. But a river that starts small and just gets bigger all on its own, that's a strange thing. So it's all symbolism here. But when you first decide you're going to hop in the river, it's like ankle-deep. You can hop in, you can hop out, and you often will. You'll say to yourself, I'm going to hop in the river of God, and by faith you'll hop in, but then without realising that something will happen, you'll be out of it again. You'll be in and out, you'll be in and out. It takes a bit of effort to get in there and stay in that river. But after a while, you know, through faith, you'll find that the river grows within you, 
and you'll be knee-deep and you'll be waist-deep and it will become more of an influence in you and you'll find that it's got more of a say and you've got less of a say until eventually there's a place. People who've walked with the Lord for a long time, some of them say, you know, it's almost like they don't have control but the Holy Spirit just guides them. Well, isn't that what you, where you want to be? You want to be at a place, you know, like those riptides at the beach where they just sweep people out to sea. Well, that's a bad example, but that's a good example for this. You know, you want to be just swept out to sea by the Lord, right? Yeah. If you ever get caught in a riptide, by the way, don't swim against the current. In this particular example, don't swim against the current either. Just go with it. But in real life, if you get caught in a riptide, um, let it carry you because if you exert energy, you'll probably end up drowning. You're better to try to kind of swim with it, but on a diagonal and head toward a headland or something like that. But anyway, people will usually spot you're missing. Um, fighting against riptides is a bad idea. And fighting against the Lord's current is a bad idea too. <laughs> but we all do it. We, we just do. So we see in this example anyway, that the river is supposed to, we're supposed to hop in it, but then we're supposed to stay in it so that it becomes more and more substantial within us until it gets to the point where it influences us and even carries us along. Who wants to do that? Yeah, me. I want to do that. I find I, I, uh, I'm very human. I get caught up in everything, day-to-day -day life. You know, your mind can be far from the Lord a lot of the times. But I just want to say that the river is a place even when you're in other places. You can be in the river when you're cleaning your teeth. You can be in the river when you're driving to work. It doesn't even matter what type of work you've got. If you're, you know, washing dishes at a restaurant at night, you can be in the river. If you're doing someone's books because you're an accountant, you can be in the river while you're right there doing someone's finances. If you're underground, mining coal, you can be in the river. <laughs> Digging graves, you know, or you can be at home, you know, putting your kids to bed. It doesn't really matter where you are, what place you're in. This is a place that you can be in as well. You can cultivate it and you need to cultivate it. That's what we want to do. And I just think that if this is what the Lord is saying to us, shouldn't we try to be in the river, right? This is what the Lord, we, a whole week of listening prayer and this is what comes out of it. What does it mean? Well, at the very minimum, what it means is let's try the best that we know how by faith to step into that place. So I'm going to invite the band to come. Uh, we'll, we'll have some music. And um, what I want to do is... Um, We'll turn off the cameras. Let's, um, let's, sing, let's sing a verse or two. But then I want you, by faith, we'll let, after a verse or two, we'll let the music keep on playing. And then we're going to step into the river by faith. Okay? Right where you are. Now, if you want, you can come forward and get prayer. But this is what I suggest you do. I suggest right where you are, you step by faith into the river. Now, there's no magical way of doing this except by prayer and asking the Lord. Say, Lord, I want to do this thing that you're telling us to do, so here I am. Lord, I 
You put yourself before the Lord in his presence and say, Lord, I'm here. So by faith, put yourself before him and um, then see what the Lord does. Stay there in his presence. Let it be a moment of negotiation between you and the Lord because the Lord wants you to get there. <laughs> so you pray. You say, Lord, here I am. He might put some other thoughts into your mind. You pray them. If you think of some sin in your life that maybe is a hindrance, confess the sin. Do some negotiating with the Lord. If after you've done that you want to get prayer, you come forward and we'll get people to pray with you as well. And you can come forward for anything at all. But I just think that wherever you are right now, this is your moment. And we're going to make a beginning on this. And family camp, we're going to, we'll make more of this next weekend.